0: This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. I'm Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. Today, I want to go back to one of the conversations I started last Christmas. After Thanksgiving, I got a lot more good interviews than I could use without going to two or three episodes a week. Instead of doing that, I ran part of the interviews then and saved part of them for later. At the time, I tried to focus on the new music that the artists had made for the season, and now get into parts of the interview that are a little more evergreen. Earlier this year, I ran the completion of my interview with Holly Foster-Wells about the Christmas music and career of her grandmother, singer Peggy Lee. And we talked particularly about the way Lee took charge of her career despite the personal and professional costs. I also talked to Joey Burns of Calexico about his favorite Christmas song, "Christmas Time is Here, and making Calexico's seasonal shift including how musical guests Bombino and Gabby Moreno affected the album. Moreno sings Mi Burrito Sabanero on the album, so we also took a detour to talk about this improbable Christmas favorite in some Spanish-speaking communities. Today, I'm talking to Inara George of The Bird and the Bee. The Bird and the Bee's slick, stylish, semi-electric pop always hit me right, and one of the highlights of a depressing trip to Las Vegas came when I heard their song, Love Letter to Japan, while sitting by a pool. In December, we talked about their new Christmas album, Put Up the Lights. Today, we'll continue that conversation, including what it was like to have Dave Grohl on drums for Little Drummer Boy. We also talk about playing songs they didn't write, whether it's Christmas music, or songs by Hollow Notes or Van Halen on their Interpreting the Masters series. We'll get to that in a moment, but first, I want to go to a new playlist that I pulled together. In the late 1990s and early 2000s, one constant in my visits to South by Southwest in Austin was Japan Night and Japanese bands, where I got a chance to see bands I wouldn't normally see the rest of the year. The shows were usually interesting because in many ways they were like a fun house mirror, reflecting what they thought mattered in Western pop and rock music. On the weekend, I went into Spotify to see how many of those bands were there and found a surprising number. While I pulled the highlights into a playlist, I found a surprising number of them also made Christmas music. Christmas music from other cultures often lacks the markers that signify Christmas to us. So it doesn't necessarily work as a soundtrack to the season, but they also feel like insights into how other cultures view our Christmas traditions. I'll link to that playlist in the show notes And it really, at this point, that playlist is simply a repository of music I found that's all new to me. Anyway, here's an easy track to like from a 2012 album titled Perfect Christmas, a cover of Wham's Last Christmas by Kano Kaoli. We'll be back on the other side with Inara George of The Bird and the Bee. tell me about how Christmas music or uh, what you remember about Christmas music as a, as a part of your Christmases growing up.
1: Um, well, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't come from a super religious family, but we do celebrate Christmas. And um, I remember my mom had particular albums that she loved um, and we would listen to them on the, on the day. And we, I definitely we listen to like Nat King Cole. We listen to um, to the Chieftains a lot. I remember she had this like Bell uh, Christmas record. But I mean, I always loved Christmas music. I feel like it's um, it's it uh, to me. It feels like it makes the season what it is. Um, You know, but I do remember like that thing of like when it starts to come in a little too soon. That's why our record came out in October, and I was like, "This is too early." But I guess with all these playlists, you kind of have to put it out earlier so that people, by the time Christmas comes, people know to put it on their playlist. But yeah, it's it's a little aggressive when it (laughs) when they start playing it before Thanksgiving. Um, But I do think that there's some amazing songs written about Christmas or just the holidays in general. Um, so I was excited to do this record.
0: So I'm going to come back to that, but but since you mentioned um, putting it out in October, tell me about that conversation. Like, like where, you know, who said this was a good idea, that it was a good idea to be out earlier.
1: I think it's just the way people do it now. I don't, I, I, I didn't really question it because I know like, just in terms of getting the record into the, Like these streaming systems, that, you know, if you do it too late, and especially for us, we're not like a huge band. So it's nice to have it out there so that people start putting it on their playlists for Christmas in a timely manner. Um, I don't, I've never put out, well, actually, that's not true. I have put out a Christmas record um, with the Living Sisters. I do think that it was at least November when we put it out, um, if I recall.
0: That
2: but
1: that sounds was about right. a different time. It's a different time. That was I don't know eight years ago or something, maybe maybe less. I don't remember.
0: Yeah, I would have to look it up. I I have the record, um, so I remember. And I remember uh, I like that record a lot. Um, oh, thank you. So, I was actually going to ask, what was what, you know compare the experience of making a Christmas record with the Living Sisters versus making uh, put up the lights with Greg.
1: I just think with anything, Greg and I, we have our own working relationship, the way that we do stuff. This is the first time Greg and I have ever made a record that we're not in the same room together for the majority of the recording. Um, So that was very new. The Living Sisters, we did it, you know, all together in a studio. Um, And Living Sisters, like, I think that that's what makes it, that is sort of the charm of it and also... It's like we're four front girls all needing to make decisions and it's like quirky and funny and, you know, and we have a really good time and then we get into fights and, um, and Greg and I, it's just a little bit simpler just because there's two of us. And also we just have this working relationship and also we're, we're achieving different things and we, we have such clear roles Recording this was different because Greg would send me tracks and then I would, you know, we wrote two originals, but then, you know, he would send me tracks and then I would sing them in my closet and then send him all the stems of me singing. Um, It was the first time I've ever sung a record like this by myself, you know, like I essentially engineered it and (laughs) and kind of, you know, I produced it by myself, the vocal part, um, which was fun. And then Also, kind of, you know, I mean, I think that's the fun part about being in the studio is you get to be with your friends and make music together. So, but I do think that the quarantine aspect and the the kind of like the day to day kind of thing that the, the, the slogging of this time to have this little moment where I could go in and just do something that reminded me of who I was, you know uh, or who I am, I guess, uh, aside from a mom and all that sort of stuff. It's, um, it was nice. It was a respite (laughs) from reality.
0: (laughs) I mean, that's the thing I think is really interesting about this time is, you know, on one hand, there's a real natural and understandable fascination and concern about musicians getting paid uh, since so many musicians are, you know, who rely on live live gigs for, you know, for money, aren't, you know, can't play. But this has been kind of one of my thoughts as well as that, you know, playing music is what you do, you know, and it's, you know, for, you know, so many musicians, it's, you know, it's essentially, it's, you know, who they are or, you know, their identity and sense of self is closely tied to their, you know, to themselves as musicians. And so I'd imagine that playing and making music is just, sort of a way to remind yourself of who you are and kind of do the, do the thing that gives you the most pride and joy.
1: Yeah. I think it was, it's important. It was important. And I know left to my own devices, I wouldn't have done it. I think that I can, I can always prioritize other things ahead of my own creativity when, when it comes to my family and the kids and what they need, but to have sort of this, thing that I was working on with Greg and I I had to like fulfill these obligations. So it, it was a night, it was a nice way for me to focus on that and be, and you know, and we had to like make it in time for Christmas.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> so you had a deadline.
1: We had a deadline. Yeah.
0: So I assume obviously that you worked separately because of the, uh, because of uh, quarantine.
1: Yes. Yeah
0: where 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 does greg live relative to you is he also not in los angeles
1: yeah he's we're both la kids we both grew up here i would i would say i'm born and raised but i was born somewhere else just cuz my dad was working somewhere else so the family moved there but my dad and mom met at hollywood high jake's par- i met mean, jake's that's my husband greg's parents um met at hamilton i think no not hamilton high i can't remember but they both grew up in LA as well. So we're both, we're like real, you know, like California kids.
0: So you were basically just shipping the files like a couple of, like, you know, area, a couple of, you know, zip codes uh, apart rather than trying to get them across the country.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess these days, though, it doesn't matter. No, exactly. He could have been, been in Singapore for all I uh, care. Uh.
3: Just hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring, ting, tingling, do. Come on, it's lovely weather For forest lay ride right together with you Outside the snow is falling And friends are calling you who. Come on, it's lovely weather For forest lay ride right together with you Giddy up, giddy up, giddy up Let's go, let's look at the show
0: Christmas music since 2007, right? I've go back to I've got Carol the Bells as 2007 and 12 Days of Christmas in 2008.
1: Yes, I mean I, if you say so, <laughs> that sounds about right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I remember we we had just put out our first record, right? Our first record came out in 2006, I want to say, or was it 2007? I don't remember. Um, and um, I think that we didn't like to tour. And our solution to that was to record as much music as possible, so that we could keep putting music out rather than, you know, promoting it on the road. Um, and and I think we had done Carol of the Bells, and we had told our manager, we're like, we want to do a Christmas record, and um, he thought that was a great idea. And then he told the, the the label, and they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second, you know, like it was like, we'll do that, but not just yet. And so we kind of held off on it. And then we would do like a Christmas song a year. I think we did one other one um, that is released somewhere, but um, yeah, and so we just never got around to it. So I I think we'd done the the Van Halen record and we were kind of like, what's the next thing we wanna do? Let's do a Christmas record. So we had already, we had decided we were gonna do this before the pandemic hit. So it was in the books kind of, and then we just had to rearrange how we were going to do it,
0: you know, in right. this new. Yeah. Our um, Christmas record, our Christmas is Christmas music. Good business. Has it been good business for you?
1: I, it's so funny. I don't, you know, like when you're on a major label and you don't sell that many records, you don't really see uh, income. <laughs> 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 you know, like it, like all the records are cross collateralized and you know, if you're not, yeah, it's like, it, it, I don't know. I don't know. It's two songs. I'm not sure, but this record we put out ourselves. So we'll, we'll actually see like a real nuts and bolts of, of it. I think it is good business. And I think for the bird and the bee, especially we, I think we have a sound that really lends itself to the Christmas music. So I'm hoping that, um, Seems like people are enjoying the music, and hopefully, it's something that they'll come back to every year. I think that's the thing. It's like a record that people always revisit because it starts to become like part of people's traditions. Um, so I don't know that I don't know the nuts and bolts of it. Sure. It, it, yeah. Well,
0: have the have the songs? What have the songs you've recorded so far done for you?
1: Oh, like uh, Carol of the Bells, sure. and I mean, well, I know that those songs are like they come back every year, especially Carol of the Bells, you know, 12 days of Christmas. So funny. Cause it, people play it in malls a lot, you know, or like retail stores. Um, that is one thing people hear our stuff in retail stores all year round, but Christmas especially. And um, 12 days of Christmas last year, <laughs> it was this guy and I feel bad for him because that song is crazy. It's like super psychedelic and it changes keys and tempos and, Every I like that was sort of our we were having fun, but this guy was forced to listen to it. I think many times a day, Uh and he uh wrote me this thing on Facebook about how he we had like essentially ruined his life. So Uh (laughs) uh pretty good, Um, you know. I felt bad from, but I, I I still do love that version. It's like one of one of the favorite things we've ever done. We just, it was so intense to record it and it kept going and going and going. And we had a lot of fun doing it, but we could never recreate it live or anything. It's like almost impossible.
0: How did you come up with, with that arrangement? Because I love, I have to say, you know, 12 days of Christmas under normal circumstances is a, is a test. I mean, it's 12, it, it's, it's a long court. damn song. It's a court, yeah. And well, uh,
1: this, this is the funny part is that Greg is familiar with. Christmas music but he's Jewish so it's not like part of his you know not not like me like growing up with it you know and on Christmas morning and stuff and 12 days of Christmas I always love the song but it is so boring so we were like how about every time it changes every time it goes back we change to a different feel or a different key or you know and so we started it but as we started getting into it Greg was like wait what am what do we have to do this
0: 12 times (laughs)
1: So we didn't the arrangement happened as we went. We were just recording it and then we would just like go to another key and then go back to the different key and then change the tempo and so it it really just um we we arranged it as we recorded it like as we went. So it's not something that was written out or anything. So wow. it would be hard to recreate. I mean I'm sure we could do it but it would take a long time. <laughs>
0: did you take on carol of the bells
1: i just always loved that song and i think i liked it because it's um it isn't religious i think it's like this really interesting way of capturing the season without it doesn't mention jesus or god once you know it's just about the sound of the bells um i guess maybe the bells are from uh church? I don't know, but I guess, and I always love the tension of the song and I sang it in choir every year. You know, it's, it's, you know, a go-to and um, I just thought it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful song. So I thought it would be kind of a cool song to record.
0: How did you decide what the approach would be?
1: You know, we don't, I think we just get together and kind of just do stuff. We don't really go into it with any concept, you know, it's like we just sit around and Greg starts playing stuff. And I say, I like that. And he says he likes this. And then it just kind of just sort of happens. I mean, I think at the time, what, what how we were recording and what we were recording, it, it definitely is in that, you know, genre of what, or, or you know, the palette of our of music. How we were recording and the sounds, so I think it. I think of of the songs. It really kind of it harkens to that to our record that we were that we had just made.
0: Mm-hmm. You decided to go back, so you knew after Van Halen, you were going to go back to Christmas music.
1: Yeah, we had that in our head.
0: Why did you decide this was the time to do it, or was it, why why was it, did that become the next project?
1: I, I think that's just how we kind of. You know, like what are we going to do next? Are we going to do a, a record of originals? Are we going to do, you know, a cover record? And and I think we'd oh, we'd had we'd had the Christmas record sort of in our mind, and we just knew like okay maybe this year this year is the year we were going to do it. And you know, depending on our schedules and Greg especially, he's very busy, um, so it doesn't you know we we could say like in some ways. Maybe this record happened because Greg wasn't working because of the pandemic. Um, because there could have been something that happened that, you know, like if Paul McCartney is a knock you know, your Christmas record's gonna yeah. be put to, the, <laughs> put to the side. So I, you know, which is, that's totally our thing is that we just don't put pressure on each other to do things. We just do it when we can and when it feels right. Um, I think that's why we've stayed a band as long as we have.
0: Right. One of the, one of my favorite tracks on put up the lights is you and I at Christmas time, which is one of your two originals. Yes. Where did that one come from?
1: Um, Well, Greg sent a track to me and then I wrote the, the, you know, the lyrics and melody over it. And I think lyrically, I just think I was trying to sort of capture this kind of quiet, um Christmas you know like that we're gonna do the same things that we do every year but it just might be you and me you know and that I think that was it was I I, at that time especially I was finding it hard to write anything that didn't really like point to what was happening and 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 because it's Christmas you want to make it feel nice but I think if you listen to the lyrics um it's all about like Not, not, I mean, I guess that's what you want to say Christmas all the time is like, it's not about the gifts. It's not about, it's about, you know, being together. And I think I was trying to sort of reiterate that in the context of this crazy moment.
0: I don't know if this is an aesthetic choice or if it's just a function of there only being the two of you but it seems like like sort of an intimacy and a sort of a, a lovely sort of smallness is sort of seems very much a part of the bird and the bee sound to me is that intentional or is that or do you or do you hear it too
1: I definitely hear it with the first record for sure when I listen back to that um I think that um, yeah, I think that we, I mean, the thing that the music that we sort of were trying to emulate at, in the beginning, and I think we still do is just this, a, a, this thing where you can express a lot with not a lot of, you know, of like a, a thickness of sound, I suppose, it's like, to try to make the melody and the progression sort of be the be the movement and then add things. I mean, I don't know if we do it intentionally, but I think we it, I think we find that the sim- the simplest version sometimes is the best for us, you know.
0: What were those records or what were those kind of markers that you used sort of as a sort of as an inspiration when you started?
1: I think we were thinking a lot about, you know, 60s pop and, um, and Brazilian, uh, and that was kind of our, that was our go-to, but then, you know, we, sometimes we listen to the clash and think this sounds great. Why is it sound so great? And I think that's something that I miss sometimes in today's music. And I, and I have to say, like, I don't listen to a lot of new music. I find that it's hard, uh, I can't listen to music in the way that I used to. And I find it hard to listen to new music sort of peripherally. So I like to go to listen to the music that I, that I know really well, because then I can, I don't know. I, you know, it's like when your kids are turning off music in the middle, you're just like, screw it. I'm not gonna, sure. <laughs> I'm not gonna try anymore. Um, so, yeah. And I think that, the, the records that we were going to were these ones where like, it says a lot with a little. And I think that's kind of where we sort of
0: sprung from. Mm-hmm. Uh, was like five songs on this, or I think our, our, our standards are our Christmas uh, covers. And then you've also done two albums, the uh, album of Holland Oates songs and an album of Van Halen songs. What is it about doing other people's music that appeals to you?
1: Um, uh, I, I mean, I think we started when we first started playing together, just without recording, we did a lot of covers. And I think that's just where we started. And I think it's this thing of, um, figuring out how to choose music that we, we're not trying to do it better, but we're trying to do our own version and what, and what, what 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 songs will we be successful with? And then I also think the way that we came the way that we thought about our band was that we were we borrowed a lot. And I think we were constantly listening to other sounds to try to figure out something that we could. So I think it's it was just the nature of our of who we who we are as a band. Like we came together, Greg and I. Because we had a very, we seemed to have a very similar aesthetic in terms of music. And I think it was kind of like the project sprung from this thing of, oh, I like that band and I like that band. And, and you know, what if we could, what if, and then I think it just happened that when we made music together, we would kind of, you know, seek out other sounds or songs that we admired. Um, and yeah, and so the Holland thing kind of came out of like that thing of, Let's make music instead of touring. And we were so spent of writing. So we're like, oh, let's just do a cover record. And we decided on a hollow notes. And then that became a thing. And people kept asking, when are you going to do the next one? Because we had sort of left it open by saying it was a volume one. Right. And then we enjoyed it so much. And I think it informed our, la- our last full-length record of originals. And then, you know, I'm curious to see how it'll inform... The, this van halen how it'll, it'll inform our next batch it's a really cool study of music of, of, of writing of
0: you know i would imagine could you want to explain that because i was trying to think about when i heard the van halen about as a woman you moving in and having to listen to and think about and process david oh. lee roth lyrics and trying to and to move into you know, bluntly, such a male attitude, and yeah. uh, and and so, how you processed thinking about um, about Van Halen and 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 trying to trying to find your space in that music.
1: It's kind of interesting because we decided to do this record, and then like I think as it was coming out or while we were recording it, like the Me Too movement was happening, so it was kind of a it was interesting because, you know, not to say that I don't, that I I didn't think of, of it before, but I, you know, you start to kind of unpack, I guess that's like a word that people are like, but you start to unpack like who you are as a woman and your relationship to these bands that definitely did not consider females in the way that I think today it would be it would be considered, you know, yeah. It it so I think that that. I, I I was approaching David Lee Roth's lyrics and the thing that I act with that kind of sensibility, like, Oh, okay. I have to think about like, this is a guy that did like, you know, California girls. And the, vi- like some of the, va- I have to say the Van Halen videos are much more questionable than the lyrics. Cause um, the lyrics, I didn't really find anything that I found uh, um offensive. I actually found that it seemed to me that he loved he loves women, you know. He loves and respects women. He might be kind of body about talking about them, but I never found there was anything that I was like, "Oh god, you know."
0: Right.
1: Um but but the mentality of that time where you could make a record that make a video that that today is completely unacceptable so it's like a different time but but you know like jamie's crying to me is like a very sweet song that is is really discussing that thing of a a girl who wants something more and and it seems has the self-respect to 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 want that and 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 not settle for anything less that was my interpretation of that song, which I think is, it's a great message for a girl.
0: part of the fun of doing records like that um just seeing what you can do with these familiar songs
1: yeah yeah (laughs) i think it's and i think we try to choose carefully we want to choose we choose we choose music that we think doesn't necessarily get as much like credibility um, that we think it deserves in terms and not to say like the bands we choose are huge you know tons of but it's like critically have not always been you know lauded as these you know I don't know exceptional you know it's like pop music or you know whatever rock. Right. Roll. Sure. so we choose something like that that has been our past and then we also choose something that we feel like we're never going to do it better, but we're going to do it our own way. And it won't really, rep- it won't really resemble the original in a way where we're going to compare. It's going to be a comparison.
2: Right.
1: And then, um, yeah, and then just something we love. So uh, uh, I don't even remember what what the question was, but it's, it's uh, yeah, it, we... We just try to do something that we think is fun. And then also, yeah, like how are, how are we going to approach this in our voice?
0: Right. So when you move into Christmas songs, like particularly now, I know like you brought in Dave Grohl plays on Little Drummer Boy. Little Drummer Boy is another song, not as tedious as uh, 12 songs, but Little Drummer Boy with a lot of rumpa pum pums can – can can make it can wear you out how, can. how did you approach or, or how did y'all approach that song and why bring in dave Grohl?
1: well i think you know greg that was greg i mean i think greg kind of had i think it's it is an amazing song to um showcase a drummer <laughs> and like one of the most famous drummers of all time you know of our of our generation um you know, we have a relationship with Dave and Dave's a fan of our band and he's played with us and um, he's always game and he's like a real musician's musician. Like he wants to come, he wants to play. He doesn't care, you know, if anything's perfect, like he's sort of punk rock and he, I don't know. It's just always fun to have him play with us. He's just a good guy and a good energy and, um, and not fussy at all. Just like shows up and plays, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I think, you know, Greg was like, let's do Little Drummer Boy with Dave Grohl. And I was like, great. Yeah. I mean, I think that was really just it. It was like, and playing like a real rock drum, um, like showcasing the drums, like right. this song is gonna be about Dave.
0: Separately, in this case, was there a song that particularly surprised you when you heard where where, where it ended, how it ended up?
1: Um, well, one of the songs, it was like the last song I think we recorded. I wanted to do our new version of 12 Days of Christmas. And I was like, what can we do that's kind of crazy? And it'll be just like a big, I don't know, a big kind of sh- showpiece, And I, so it was ho- hallelujah chorus. <laughs> was, And I, I've sung that in choir too in high school. And, and I thought it would be so fun to just do one where I get to sing all the parts. And so I, I suggested it to Greg. And then when it came time to have me sing it, that was where I was like, I spent hours alone in my closet, just like singing every part. Cause I had to sing the part four times. And, um, and then, but I just think it was like a fun, I didn't know where it was gonna go. I didn't know, cause that one's sort of, it's not tedious, it's just long, there's lots of parts to it, but we had to figure out like, how do we make it kind of fun and uplifting, but then also not overdo, like not overshadow the actual arrangements of the vocal parts, which is, I think the kind of the, so I think that one, surprised me the most in a way because it just it was fun and kind of hard for me and then we kind of i think in the end like sort of have a fun a fun version of that song which it feels original to me that in in comparison to other versions i guess right. hallelujah
3: hallelujah
0: we've mentioned it now a couple times singing in your closet so you so what was the setup so you were like do you have like you know was this like the closet in your bedroom or did you have another room or someplace yeah Yeah.
1: it's a closet in my bedroom um I have a uh yeah I have like kind of a small walk-in closet and I had I had one mic that wasn't working. So I borrowed a mic from a friend. I have like a nice sort of preamp, nice vocal amp, vocal mic setup, but it was all had been torn down because I was going to move to a different place. And then I'm not good at that stuff. So I wasn't going to have somebody come in and like reset up everything. So I just got a good mic and I have this like little preamp, you know, vocal box, um, and I just plugged in this pretty simple mic um, and and then put it into GarageBand. And I just sang via GarageBand and then just would send the stems, you know, all to, to Greg.
0: And he'd lay them into the track
1: and, like, you know, clean them up and stuff.
0: This is so 2020. It is so. <laughs>
1: I mean, I think, but I think that... There was something fun about it because I, you know, I mean, since the first Bird the Bee record, Greg and I would record in his bedroom. I'd be sitting on his bed, you know, and this was a house that he shared with three other guys. Um, you know, it was a long time ago and, and I would sing in this one mic. He had one nice mic and he did everything in the computer. Um, you know, he had keyboards that he, you know, he'd play, but it all went straight into the computer. Maybe he would play through amps for like guitars and stuff. Um, so there was something about it that reminded me a little bit of our beginnings, which was fun. It, i like, I feel like in a way, even though we both, you know, our lives are so different and, you know, Greg has a studio and he works with all these amazing people and, um, but I think that there's something about our band that's pretty scrappy. (laughs) I feel like, you know, like we don't, we don't worry about if we mess up in a show or we, you know, we're not like perfectionists. I think we like things to sound good, but we also like to have to things to be fluid and to, to not get so bogged down by, you know, the, the things that the being in the studio can bog you down with, you know, perfection and stuff. I mean, even though Greg plays everything perfect the first time he plays it. So it's handy when you have somebody who's so proficient at many instruments. Um, But, but at the same time, I think we're, I think we like to play it kind of loose. We like to, we like to throw things, you know, like to be kind of, spontaneous and not too precious about anything Deck
3: the halls with boughs of holly la 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 tis the season to be jolly
0: Thanks to Inara George for the time and the talk. That conversation felt like an insight into the way bands live now. And a lot of the things we assume are standard parts of the ways bands exist just aren't that way anymore. Before we go, I want to take a second to draw your attention to a story I read this week. Forbes magazine reported that Robert Earl Kane refinanced his house to keep his band and his crew paid during the COVID shutdown. And since I watched my wife worry about whether or not she'd have to lay off staff last summer, I understand that anxiety and admire his solution. I also have to say that I have a lot of love for Robert Earl Keane because he agreed to be a guest on 12 Songs in 2018 before I had even dropped a single episode. I didn't have a track record as a podcaster yet, and he made the time to sit down with me at Tipitinas before his sound check and chew on Merry Christmas for the family and his relationship to Christmas music. It's a good episode because, first, he's a good interview, but also because we connected when we realized we grew up in the same suburb of Houston at the same time. He was in junior high while I was in grade school, but we had a lot of shared childhood landmarks and experiences. We didn't talk about all of those in the episode, but it did help nonetheless kind of uh, strengthen the connection. Anyway. Anyway. Him agreeing to sit for an interview made it easier for me to book guests with some name value and nationally popular Christmas music in that first year, so I'm always grateful for his generosity with his time. Thanks to AF the Naysayer for the theme music, and thanks to you for listening. If you haven't already subscribed, followed, liked, or do whatever you do on your podcast app to get 12 songs into your feed, do it. I've got some very cool interviews in the can, and would hate for you to miss them. Earlier, I played Kano Kaoli's version of Last Christmas, and I do hope I'm getting the Japanese names right. Um, I'm going by what they look like, and sorry if I'm botching. I want to finish with another Japanese Christmas song. This is uh, Kuibito Ga Santa Claus by Seiko Matsuda. As best as I can tell, the song is a cover of a Japanese Christmas pop favorite that was first recorded in 1980 by Yumi Matsutoya. Multiple online translations agree that Kuibito ga Santa Claus roughly means Santa Claus is my lover. Though the translations I see at the lyrics suggest that lover here is more romantic than sexual. I know enough about language to know that a lot of nuance is left out in these translations, so I'd be way too far over my skis to say much about what the song's about or to go any farther down that line. The main thing here is I'm very entertained by this song and I'm very happy to share it with you. So, Cuibito ga Santa Claus by Seiko Matsuda. Talk to you next week.